Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen on Money FM 89.3. You know, we have to start by, of course, uh, looking at our Straits Times, our Saturday edition, because a lot of people just want to get a cup of coffee, maybe go online, get their news, read the newspaper if it's shown up at the door. A few of us old timers that still like to get a little newsprint on our fingers. And, you know, that top story above the fold, we're going to talk about a little bit more uh, in a minute, but this $7 million fund to help the uh, delivery riders switch from their e-scooters to a power-assisted bike or a regular bike. So we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that. But an important story, too, but just below the fold, which is those uh, Singaporeans, of 25 or 26 of them, who are hurt in uh, Batam at a company function when a bridge collapsed at a resort where they were staying. So they were all up, you know, taking pictures and having fun. And, and this wooden bridge collapsed, and many of them ended up in hospital. But it seems like um, just about all of them are home now. Uh, some were delivered straight to uh, to the hospital, and others are, are doing better. So we're hoping for their quick recovery after, uh, you know, a corporate event, unfortunately, uh, ended in uh, in that minor tragedy. Of course, uh, the other story that you heard probably in the news today, now Donald Trump is denying that there is a deal on the reduction of those tariffs that they were talking about. So they've announced them on Thursday. The tariffs are going away. There's an agreement with China. And now he came out on Friday saying, no, I didn't agree to that. Well, I mean, there's a new book released this week, isn't there, <laughs> by an anonymous White House source who's very high up. They've already leaked some, um, not leaked, but shared some of the insight to the Washington Post. And he has been compared to that uncle in his underwear who just rambles around in his dressing (laughs) gown in the White House and everybody wishes he would stop talking. That's a new book out this week in Washington. There was a funny meme by Horowitz that, you know, which is the the comical kind of cartoonist, right, for the New York Times, where he is offering a billion, where he says that Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of of New York, is offering uh, Donald Trump a billion dollars to leave the White House immediately. <laughs> or no, it was ten billion, ten billion dollars to it walk out of the White worse. House. It just gets worse. The latest news this week: Have you heard that I think the guy's name is Mark Burnett, the executive producer of the Apprentice yeah, TV the Apprentice. show? Yeah, yeah. You know, a massively almost Sven Gali of television. <laughs> well, he's successful though, They're, right? Very much so. <laughs> they are rumored to be in talks already for an Apprentice colon White House. <laughs> for Donald Trump to host a TV series of The Apprentice after he gets out, 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 possibly very soon next year, and they will have apprenticed, mocked-up candidates, how they would go if they were trying to Mm. get into the White House. So literally, reality TV became the presidency, and now the presidency may become reality TV again. Well, it's all blending into one, isn't it? And and I think you know whether or not you like Donald Trump as a president, the policies he's done, because many people are you know very supportive of the tough you know stand that he's taken on trade and some of the other issues. The this idea though that there is not any kind of um, coherent outreach from the government when it comes to certain policies like this China trade thing is what's really rattled a lot of uh, not only foreign governments but business markets uh, yeah. since we are business news station. And and this is not good to have your top negotiator say, yes, we got a deal. And then to have the president come out and say, no, I don't, I didn't agree to that. So I can imagine that is causing uh, a little bit of angst this weekend in Washington, D.C. for those people involved in those. A lot. I mean, it's a, the policymakers within the White House are openly saying they never know what he's going to say yeah. from one day to the next, mm-hmm. one hour to the next. There's talk that, you know, his officials, his advisors wake up in a cold sweat every morning. <laughs> no, seriously, wondering what has he tweeted now? And the, the, the story goes that literally every White House official, before they get out of bed, before they've had their coffee, they're on the phones, checking Twitter, 
to see what he yeah. said at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, and what policy poss- by Twitter, huh? Yeah, and what possible ramifications there are, and what make ups they might have to make, you know, to fix the whatever possible issues he caused in the night. This is happening every single. Die. This reminds me back in the back in the eighties. Of course, you're too young to remember of this, Neil. But when Ronald Reagan was in office, again another very popular president with some, and not very popular with others. But he would come out and give press conferences and and comments at the White House on the lawn and all that sort of stuff, like all presidents do. And invariably, he would say something that that completely went against what he was supposed to say. And within an hour or two, almost like clockwork, after most times that he spoke, I won't say every time, but almost like uh, almost after every time you would speak, there would be a White House correction. Uh, what the president meant to say was, and typically it was exactly opposite of the thing that he actually said. So, But in those days, of course, there was no social media. So the world moved just a little bit slower and you could afford to maybe make some of those uh, some of those corrections. But at uh, least there was a correction. And it was a, it was a correction. Because now yeah. there isn't. Trump yeah. now rarely it's a new conducts uh, press uh, conferences anymore. His advisors under uh, Obama, it was often a daily briefing or certainly a weekly briefing. Mm. Trump has mostly done away with that now. Mm. So there is not even the recourse that the, the, the means to get a, a correction out. He just doesn't bother. Or there's yeah. a complete flip-flop. He'll just lie. He'll literally move the line on mm. where the storm was mm. coming in like he did. He, he, he literally now, he's a, tar- a cartographer. He redraws <laughs> map lines and everything. But in, here's the point I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I saw in a survey this week, latest stats shows again that he's the uh, lowest polling, least popular sitting president since polling began in America. This has happened since he took charge. But the interesting thing about that, the figure that I saw, Glenn, was that he's currently polling at around 40-something percent, 43%. So everyone says, yeah, that's the lowest-ranked president, sitting president in history. He's the least popular president in history. I look at it the other way around. Who are the 43%? To answer your point, that's still almost one in two American voters. Yeah are on Trump's side. So all the gaffes, all the policy flip-flops, all the uncertainty, you know, the we don't need to go into every controversy, we'd be here for the whole show. But despite all of that, 43% is still almost one in every two Americans. Donald Trump is extremely popular with his base. And, you know, without getting too deep into political discussion at this moment, you know, the question is always, and, and has been honestly for decades in American politics, the left is on the left and likes their, their candidate. The right is on the right and likes their candidate. It's that 2 3 4% in the middle that's undecided or that can be swayed. That's how elections are you know, and have been won. You know, the the, the and the U.S. is generally a, a more centrist country when you look over time in terms of um, their social standing. You know, the way they think about social policy and and, and government policy and things. But uh, you know, you get the hard left, you got the hard right, and you get just that outlying uh, small percentage. So that's what comes down to winning elections. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. America, is, as you say, generally is a, is a centre-right yeah. party for the most part. Doesn't believe in a welfare state right. as, as, the, as Europe would understand it. Believes in some very small amounts of, uh, you know, welfare to help the, the neediest. Well, social Possibly security. Possibly social like security. Yeah. It's probably yeah. s- it's closer to Singapore than it would be the UK right. in terms of its uh, economic model. And then the electro- electoral college system, of course, doesn't help because you say it's just a small percentage of votes either way and you right. can win the whole state out. Right. 
well, it was it was just tens of thousands of votes mm-hmm. that actually uh, votes that swung the electoral the electoral college count mm-hmm. for Trump, right? Yeah. In this past election, so and you mentioned Mayor Bloomberg there, mm-hmm. popular guy in New York. Mm-hmm. He may stand. He came out this yeah, week. Yeah, he's talking about that. But he's, he's talked about candidate. it a couple of times, yeah. and I don't, you know, I don't. Uh, who knows, right? Who mm-hmm. knows what'll happen? But that would be interesting to see which part of the vote he would carve away from whomever else is running. I don't know if he would run as a Democrat or an independent or whomever, but yeah, that'd be interesting to see. You know, another story that we had this morning in the news roundup is this uh, the first ever study of homelessness in Singapore yeah, that's very come good. out from, from the Lee Kuan Yew school. And, you know, it shows that there are, the study shows there are a thousand homeless people sleeping rough uh, in Singapore. Six in 10 are men. Uh, and they are generally working, working in low-wage jobs, security, cleaners, those sorts of things. You know, sleeping in void decks, sleeping under bridges, and that sort of thing. So a really, uh, I think, a watershed moment uh, done by this assistant professor, Ng Kok Ho, of the Lee Kuan Yew School. And I think this is going to start a new discussion in Singapore now that there's an official study to have uh, around that. And I, and I hope we can get this assistant professor on. I'd love to have him on to, to talk more about these findings. Absolutely. Well, this has been building for some time. Last year, there was a best-selling book published by friends of mine at Ethos Publishers about social inequality. It was one of the best-selling books of last year and really kick-started this discussion about social inequality and the fact that, yes, we are a reasonably meritocratic society. Yes, if you work hard, study hard, there are avenues for you to climb. Mm. But at the same time, you can't acknowledge the fact that we have a safety net. It's, we don't want to get into a political debate about whether that safety net needs to be bigger or not. But some people, for various personal reasons, economic reasons, educational reasons, fall through the cracks, mm. the, 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 the holes in that safety net. And to say we have no homelessness, clearly from this survey and from our own eyes, right. over the 20-odd years that I've lived here, I've seen homeless people. Sure. Not, not many, but I've seen them. And we shouldn't get caught up with this discussion, which I think may happen, and I hope it doesn't, that we'll end up getting those needless comparisons. Ah, yes, but we're not as bad as Malaysia. Yeah, and yeah, there are more homeless it, people it's in It's not about compar- in London. comparing. Because yeah. if you talk to Singaporeans about the driving etiquette in Singapore, which we often chat about, they'll say, <laughs> yeah, but if you go to Malaysia, whoa, it's 10 times worse in Malaysia. That doesn't it's, mean anything to me. It's a false comparison. Me. It's a false comparison. Yeah, and yeah. It's almost like a race to the bottom. Right. So, yes, homelessness will be worse in other parts of Southeast Asia. There are more than a thousand people homeless in just London or Manchester or arguably New York alone. That doesn't mean we don't talk about it, discuss it, address it. As globalization continues, this social divide will only get wider. Mm. That's an inevitable consequence mm. of globalization. So we have to talk about it. And I think this survey is wonderfully timed because yeah. it will start, hopefully, a national conversation. Yeah. You know, the uh, I read an article recently about homelessness in the U.S. and, and the stat in L.A. is that there's 30 or 35,000 homeless people in L.A., go. right? Yeah. So an entire – that was the size of the town that I grew up in uh, mm. outside of Chicago. Uh, so it, it is a serious issue. And like you say, people fall through the cracks for a variety of reasons. You know, some of their own making, some not of their own making and everything in between. Uh, mental health issues, of course, come into it at certain levels as well. So hopefully, yeah, like you say, this will definitely start a good discussion about that. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.